freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you on the internet. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name it's on it. Not, it kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Yes, hello. Brock and Salk Show, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com and the Seattle Sports app. Yes, we're all here together and on every podcast platform everywhere in the cosmos. Thanks for being with us. I will admit to uh, being a little frustrated this morning. Didn't get a lot of sleep. A little mad about how the game went yesterday. Uh, I will tell you, there are two, two, two ways to look at what happened in the baseball game last night with the Mariners. They lost, in case you uh, have no idea what I'm talking about, in case you didn't rush to your radio at 6 a.m. to hear about this Mariner loss uh, and why I'm so frustrated by it. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to need you guys' therapy here for the next few minutes, and I'm going to take you on a journey, which is the only way I could come up with to describe last night's Mariner game. And I don't know. I thought of it this morning in the shower, so maybe it doesn't work at all. But I think it works, so it makes oh, sense and, and in my sleep-deprived sleep little mind. shower time yes. equate to Brock's tub time. night tub time. Good thoughts. question. Brock spends more time. Uh, mine, mine's more of like a theta moment where I'm not thinking about it, and all of a sudden it comes to me. Also, I've had, again, I, I fell asleep at like 1.30 last night, so this is like maybe three hours worth of sleep. Huh. So who knows? Who knows where this goes? There are, as I said, two, two ways of looking at the Mariner game from last night. One is that the Mariners got outplayed, right? That that the Marlins just made more plays than the, they did. That Julio is once again completely lost, mired in a slump, one for his last 18, I think. Um, they were beaten to the punch by an athletic outfield that got to every ball. Marlins took advantage in the big moments, and the Mariners did not. That is one totally acceptable way of looking at last night's game. I won't argue with you if you say that's what happened. What I saw was a game of blackjack that I have seen play out any number of times. And if you know me, you know how much I love to settle in at a casino. Oh, there it is. Yes. Make me at home here. Thank you, Justin. Make me at home. Make me feel. I will tell you this story as if it were blackjack. The only problem is I have to reverse two of the events in order to make it happen. But man, is it close. (laughs) So if you were to imagine watching somebody playing blackjack who has no idea what to do, and are playing completely against the book, that would have been the Mariners for most of this year, right? Whereas the terrible blackjack player hits on 16 against an 11, right? Or, you know, doubles down on 12 against a 10, or whatever sort of stupid decisions and approach that have nothing to do with playing good blackjack. That was the Mariners, Offensively, okay. For most of the first two months of this year, just doing a lot of stuff that you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> when you do that, you're probably not going to win because that's just a bad approach and it's leading to bad results. In the last week, however, somebody taught them the book. They explained to them the odds. They showed them the correct approach and how to handle all of these moments. And guess what? It was starting to work. They hit on 
you know, nine against a seven. They got a 10. The dealer got a 19. They won, right? There were a 17. They, they, they did all of the things that were supposed to happen, and they were starting to bank some money. They saw their roll, their, their little stack of chips starting to grow just Confidence. a little bit, right, for the first time. And anybody who has played blackjack a lot in a casino knows that once that happens, you bet more. Right? You go bigger. You're on a roll. You've got the streak. And eventually you start putting together win after win after win. And whether you're playing five or ten dollar hands or hundred dollar hands, it starts to add up because you feel the mojo. You feel the vibe and you just start winning. It's the way it's supposed to go. And anybody who's played blackjack for a significant amount of time knows that after that happens, there comes a moment that will in some way decide the fate of your night. For example, you get a pair of eights and the dealer has a six and you've already got, let's say you've been playing $10 hands. You've already got 50 bucks up there and here comes your moment. You've got split eights against the six and you go, all right, this is the one that's going to make my night. So you split your eights, you split your eights (laughs) and on the first one, bang, you get a three. All right. This is going to be that hand. Double it up, baby. Give me that card. Double down. All right. And so you double down, and the dealer gives it to you face down so you don't know what's going to happen. But you're like, all right, I'm going to play my other eight. Let's go. Give me that other eight. Guess what you get? Another eight. Well, I got to split it again. Let's go. Give me another 50 bucks up there. Now you've got, you know, $200 on the table. And on that second eight, you get a seven. Well, that stinks. That's not what I was looking for. That was like, you know, one of the various Teoscar Hernandez balls that got caught in the marine layer last night and went absolutely nowhere. All right. Well, 15 against the six. I'm not going to hit that. Okay. Let's give you the other eight. Let's go. And it's a four. Well, I can't hit four. I can't hit 12 against the six. So, all right. I guess I'll just suck it up. And, you know, that's okay because I can just wait for the dealer to bust. That's why I made this whole play. And then the dealer goes. You're like, all right, bust that six up. And the dealer goes two. Now the dealer's got an eight. You're like, oh, man, that's not good. Okay, still got, still in it. Dealer goes four. Okay, dealer's got a 12. Okay, going to bust this thing up. Dealer goes three. Okay, it's a 15. Still ready to bust that thing up. That's sort of like a little dinky single, right, where it goes kind of off the edge, you know, or a Baltimore chop that bounces straight into the ground and 30 feet up in the air while the guy runs safe. Dealer's got what now? 15. 15. Ace. 16. Here we go. This is the worst hand the dealer can have. And just like that. Here's a swing and a drive down the right field line. Slice in into the corner. And it's going to be a fair ball beyond the reach of Tasker oh, Hernandez. Great. Running third is Sanchez. Oh, that's awesome. The dealer drew five for 21. So I've already lost two of my hands. But you know what? I can still tie this thing up. Of course. I've still got that one card ready to go that's going to tie this thing up for me, right? I've got that chance to still win. And guess what? <laughs> guess what's hanging out under my 11 that I was waiting for? Give me that big queen, right? Give me that face card. Give me that 21 so that at least I tie the hand. 
And the 2-1 to Suarez. Swing and a fly ball. Deep to right field. Sanchez going back to the wall. Leaps up and he makes the catch. Ah. Holy smokes. Two outs in the inning. Tagging and scoring is Ty France. Yeah, it was a six. This feels way too close to home. Like you, you've lived this moment. I've lived this moment. And you might so be learning more about your open. blackjack I have, habits I have about the Mariners. Lived this moment in so many different ways. I can't even tell you. But that's what it is. Sometimes you take the right. Sometimes you take the wrong approach, which is what the Mariners did for the first two months of the season, and you lose over and over again because you're taking a bad approach. And then you start to take the right approach, and you get the results. You see the results over the course of a few games, but last night, the Mariners were unlucky. They haven't been unlucky all season. They were unlucky last night. They had one of the most awful umpiring experiences I could ever imagine watching. I don't know how that guy has a job, but he is completely incompetent. That was really bad. Sean Barber. They were the victim of a number of 70-mile-an-hour dinky accidental excuse-me hits, including the double that ended up kind of putting the game out of reach. And they smoked like six balls that all got caught up in the marine layer, including the one that Suarez hit that should have tied the game right there at the end. I was absolutely freaking furious last night. It's one thing when your team plays bad. And you're like, well, all right, I'll turn it off. You stink. Click. It's another thing when your team makes big mental mistakes and you're like, well, you're not going to win games like that. Or when your pitcher gets shelled or when your offensive approach is awful. I can understand all those things. I know why they happen. You know why last night happened? Because baseball. Just because of baseball. You're absolutely right. They didn't do anything wrong last night. They did everything you're supposed to do. They hit the ball harder than the other team did over the course of nine innings. And instead of being rewarded for it, they got absolutely screwed. Well, I don't know if that goes far as they did everything right. They had a lot of walks, a couple pass balls that hurt pretty bad. They did some things wrong. You're right. Fair enough. Yes. But overall, I thought they were the better team last night again. Mm -hmm. And instead of winning seven to two, which that game very easily could have been, they lose four to one. And maybe it's just one of those hands where you just collect yourself. And the next thing you know, you go right back on your run. But the Mariners need to go on a run. Yeah, it's nice to win two out of three from the Marlins. I'm happy about that. And now you got a lousy Chicago team coming in before you go out on the road for some really important big games. But this is a chance to really get yourself going, get your momentum, get your get just get everything in your corner moving in the right direction. And instead, you fall victim to some of the stupidity of baseball. It happens. I'm not mad at the Mariners for last night. There's more they could have done. It would have been nice if Suarez had hit the ball three feet farther. It would have been or one foot farther. It would have been nice if some of those balls were tagged just a little bit more. I'm not saying they're completely without blame. They're not. But they did things right last night. Agreed. They took the pitches you're supposed to take on the outside corner that were six inches outside, and, and, and Sean Barber called it strike three. What are you going to do? You're doing it right. Your approach is correct. So this is not about the whole season. So for anybody saying Salk making excuses for the Mariners, I'm not. They've had a crappy approach for most of the year, and they deserved everything they got. Last night, that was not the problem. Their approach was good. They did things right, and it didn't work. Just like what happens to me every freaking time I walk into a (laughs) casino. 
need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. There are losses when you get outplayed, losses where you get blown out, losses where you get shut down, losses where you beat yourself. And to some extent, the Mariners did those things last night. It had elements of that. But it just added a cruel streak of marine layer with a couple of balls, four of them, that should have been gone instead, hung up and were caught. Suarez's grand slam in the ninth that would have tied the game, being robbed at the end, was about as frustrating as it gets. Throw in a few dinky hits on the other side, a bunch of walks that certainly you gave them, some atrocious umpiring behind the plate, and you get a 4-1 loss that was really frustrating to watch. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going. You know, it was just, uh, you know, he's got a knack for doing that late in games, barreling balls up. He can certainly get the ball in the air. Um, I thought it was gone. You know, and again, fantastic play um, by Sanchez. Just not quite enough needed by another foot. No, and that was sort of the theme of the night. Just another foot, just another few feet, just another little of this, just another little of that. And add it all up, and it turns into a 4-1 loss. The good news, they did end up winning the series, which is good. They needed to do some of that. Good series for us. It really was. I'm disappointed we lost tonight, no question. The guys are a little frustrated. Uh, But, you know, our fight at the end of the game, um, you know, it was there. You know, your your little breakaway. The guy made an unbelievable catch going over the wall, and it ties the game. And you can't take anything away from the play, and and nor Geno's uh, at bat there. So, Again, good series. You won the series. You're disappointed. You don't sweep. Um, it's tough to sweep. You need a few things to go your way. Just didn't quite have enough tonight. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of describing it. I would say more than a few things did not go their way. Day off today, so they'll rest. That's why Scott emptied the bullpen last night. White Sox will be in town for the weekend. Here's the second thing you need to know. Seahawks offseason program officially done. We won't see them again until the end of July when they'll be all systems go for training camp. Man, though, it was good to see some of their veterans stick around to get a little extra time in with the rookies this week. We saw some highlights yesterday of Geno Smith throwing deep to Ken Walker, which was pretty cool. Nice to see both of those guys around. And, you know, you can argue about whether or not it's worth it to have guys here. But DK Metcalf said in January that there is some bonding time that's pretty darn important. I think we missed out during training camp on a lot of team bonding and, um, you know, bonding as a whole, whether that be position groups um, or, like I said, just a team in general. So um, I think next offseason and next season going into it, uh, just being ready to, you know, bond with the team and just know who we are at a core and not just, uh, you know, jersey numbers or or just teammates. Um, It has to be a real brotherhood uh, when you go out there for games like this. Bo, I don't know how we could say it better than that. It's funny that DK was one of the people who was upset about Brock saying that Jamal Adams should be there when he has the opportunity to be there. Dude, you want him there. You want that bonding. You want all those extra opportunities to get to know the person, not just the number. I'm surprised that he would even bother to... I get it. You got to stick up for your guy. And like, I totally understand it. But I would sit that one out, man. There's no win in that. There's no win in arguing for somebody not being here when they have an opportunity to do so. Here's the third thing you need to know. 
Well, Stanley Cup has now been awarded, and so the NHL offseason will begin. There's a period here with arbitration, buyouts, etc., but then we'll get the two big dates coming up in about two weeks. Draft starts on June 28th. It's a two-day experience, and then free agency begins on July 1st. Kraken have some really big decisions to make, right? They got three restricted free agents, Vince Dunn, Morgan Geeky, Will Borgen. They got a couple of unrestricted guys as well. How hard do they go after a star score to help on the power play? Well, Ron France told us that that would help. Yeah, I mean, you, you always like to have those guys that you can. They're not always readily available. You go back to the expansion, you know, teams get to protect their best seven forwards and their best three defensemen. So usually those superstars are in that group that they're protecting. And the only way to really get those guys is is to, you know, draft and develop. And, you know, that's what we've tried to do on the amateur side in our drafts. It takes a little while for these kids to sort of mature and get to the point where they can step into the NHL and play. Uh, not everybody's a Maddie Beneers that can, you know, can kind of do that uh, early, but um, we think we've got some good pieces coming in that regard. And But if there are moves that are out there that we feel make us better, we're certainly not going to hesitate to do that, whether that's trades or, or free agency or what have you here over the course of the summer. Yeah, so do they go big to try to help on the power play? Do they believe Andre Burakovsky return will help enough to not make that necessary? How much do they trust some of their young guys to take on additional minutes? We saw Ty Cartier show promise in the playoffs. Will Shane Wright be ready? Riker Evans is another guy who's been knocking on the door. So should be a fascinating offseason for another team in town making an effort to go from good to great. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Uh, Salk, shut up about Jamal. Okay, well... (laughs) Right. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Linda says, didn't realize I was turning into Salk's therapy session this morning. Hope it helped. Not yet. We'll see. It's going to need a little more time. I was going to ask you the question is, were you a little bit more upset just because it was your guy last night? It was Castillo who just, yes, the ump was bad, but he also didn't have it. No, he didn't have it, but he didn't have his command. It was one of those crazy nights where he had his stuff, but not his command. Right. Sure. And you see that for in baseball. I mean, did they lose because Luis Castillo didn't have it last night? No. I mean, he didn't have it, but he gave up two runs. I mean, like, yeah, but you tune in to watch your guy shove. Oh yeah, I always love watching that. And he didn't have he didn't have that command last night. He he was, you know, he he battled last night without his good command. He had good stuff, right? I mean, you could see it. Fastball throwing ninety nine. He had the movement on his pitches. Too much. Too much. Yes. Right. I mean, threw a couple of wild pitches. Get like a ton of help from his catcher on them, but like, you know. Yeah, he didn't have his great stuff, but no, that's not why I was mad last night. Okay, I didn't know if it contributed because I was. I know you have much you look forward to. You know what? Luis I don't Castillo even really there. care about Luis Castillo anymore. I've kind of forgotten <laughs> about him. On. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even really thought about him this year. I think Kelnick's your your new bromance. Yeah. Just, just I don't little, really like any of them this year. Like, I just haven't even really okay. like. I haven't fallen in love with anyone this year. <laughs> no, there hasn't been anything to fall in love with. What would you fall in love with? Uh, that's fair. I mean, I, I, you think you could still fall in love with George Kirby? You can no. still fall in love with the the combination of Kirby and what Miller showed? No, no, no. Well, this is sad. This is yeah. This is I'm, a therapy I'm, session. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Last night really got to me in a way that it probably shouldn't have. Some people have fallen in love with Caballero style. Nah, it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. Everything is awful. Oh, Everything in the we'll whole see world. If Brock can turn this around. I doubt you. it. It seems impossible. <laughs> 
Everything's terrible. Uh, all right, we'll be right back with some Bruce Feldman. Uh, you want to talk about positive? He says the Huskies are going somewhere they haven't been in a while. Is he right? Stick around. You'll hear it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Good piece here from Bruce Feldman, of course, at The Athletic. He works both there and at Fox Sports, and he's kind enough to join us now here on Brock and Salk. Hi, Bruce. How are you? Good morning, guys. It's been too long. It's good to good to hear your voice. Uh, you did recently write a little bit about what's going on with Washington. Uh, I do want to dig into the Pac-12 and the media rights, and we'll talk some Penix, et cetera, but kind of give us a rundown. Where, where's the program at right now? You know, I, I think it's a legit playoff contender right now. Uh, got a chance to spend some time around the program at the end of the spring and was impressed by what I saw. I think Kellen DeBoer has been a fantastic hire. Um, I think I'm going to see uh, Michael Penix Jr. this week at Elite 11. I think he's supposed to be one of the counselors out there. And I know he's trained in Southern California. So um, I think all signs are really good, the direction of, of Huskies football right now. It's amazing of where it was a year ago at this point. How many Caitlin DeBoers are out there, Bruce? Great question. I'm guessing, I don't know, Brock, how many guys you know went like 75 and 3 as a college coach at any level? Um, they're just, those guys, I think for a lot of people, we're sometimes looking for, especially when I say we, I mean we and us in the media are looking for like kind of the sexy hire and maybe a guy who sounds like he's going to wow you at the press conference or there's some kind of pedigree that speaks to it, not a guy who was wildly successful at NAIA level um, and then did really well at Fresno and obviously was a good coordinator in the Big Ten. But I just think it's hard for a lot of people, not just media people, but search people and everything, the, the search firms, to kind of pin what that, what that it is about a guy like that. Um and I, you know, again, it's. I think he just has a. He's brought a bunch of guys who worked with him for a long time. That's his core guys on that staff, and I think he knows what, what, what it needs to look like, right? And I think because of that, I think there's a comfort in that, and and the players have certainly responded, and and I think we're going to find out a lot more about him nationally because now there's expectations as opposed to last year coming off of what they were coming off of. Yeah, I would think we'd also find out a little more after this coming year, right? After Penix moves on. I mean, that that's a connection that he had before he got here with Penix from, from their time in Indiana. What happens next when it's, it's sort of the post-Michael Penix era? Yeah, although I will say this, I'm sure it's a lot easier to, to land a, you know an elite quarterback recruit, whether it's a, from high school or the transfer portal, when you when that the guy before he's thrown for 4,000 yards been a Heisman candidate and, you know, is likely a first-round pick, I think that all makes it a lot easier to, to convince people, right? Um, I think it's harder to get to that point than it is to, to sell it. And I certainly think the fact that when Nick Saban wants your offensive coordinator, and he decides not to go, and he decides to stay at stay at the place he's at. I think that's another big, big, you know, chip in the Huskies and divorce pocket. Bruce Feldman here with us, Fox Sports, the Athletic. Did I hear you right there? That the playoffs not expanding this year to twelve. 
Did I hear you right that you said that this year with still four teams, you believe the the Huskies are a are a legit playoff contender? I do. I mean, look, if they win the Pac-12 and they can run the table, why not? I mean, you had it last year. You saw how good that team was. I felt like the UCLA game, they got, you know, there was a couple of turnovers, and they got behind DTR, and they were, you know, you said it was rolling that Friday night. But, you know, like you have – I feel like this is actually a really good year for the Pac-12 on the field. Um, you have a lot of quarterbacks back. You have a lot of firepower. And if somebody can come out of that undefeated, that's a big hit. But even if they don't, even if you're sitting at a 12-1, and one, I think you have you will have a legit argument to, you know, you look at the other leagues. Yeah, the SEC is, has a good chance to get two teams in. The Big Ten can can certainly get, you know, if if Michigan is as good as we think they are, for you know, then maybe that. But then you look at the rest of the leagues, like TCU came out of the out of out of the Big Twelve. Nobody was expecting that. Um, I you know I don't think the ACC is any better right now than the Pac-12 is on the field. Uh, so so why not? You know, again, it's going to take a lot of work, but I think. You know, as long as Zach, you know, as, as Penix is there, those receivers, I think it's a, I think there's some good big big bodies on the on the defense. You know, you got two really good edge rushers. I mean, I think they have a shot. I've noticed, Bruce, and, and I can't help but notice that twice when talking about how <laughs> the Pac-12 was better than people think or better than the ACC, that you 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 certainly dropped on the field. Uh, how come? Yeah, I, I actually caught myself kind of doing that, too. And I, I don't know. It's the elephant in the room, right? There's a lot of dysfunction around it. But um, I I think what the on-the-field part is it's been really good right now. You look at all the guys who came back, all the quarterbacks, a bunch of those guys came back because collect, collectives have stepped up. And obviously Caleb couldn't leave because of, you know, his NFL clock. But I think – You've seen some really good things happen. The fact that, you know, Dante Moore was the five-star quarterback recruit from the Big Ten footprint who decided to go play for Chip Kelly. I mean, those are, you know, and obviously UCLA and USC are about to leave, so that's not great future-wise. But at least right now, for 2023, there's a lot of of positive, I think, that they can can beat their chest about. Now they have to do it on the field, but... There's certainly legit reasons for enthusiasm and optimism. Are, are they going to be here as a league after this year? I think they will. You know, like I'm sitting there, you know, I went to conference meetings. I saw Brock at that in Arizona last month. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, if everyone's buzzing about Colorado, and I get why they are, Dion's there. They made them uh, very compelling. But at the same time, you know, Colorado football has been atrocious for, and irrelevant for, for the last 20 years. And if Dion does really well, my guess is Dion's not going to be there for more than a couple of years, and then Colorado probably goes back to what it's been. So the idea that all of a sudden Colorado would be some kind of linchpin because they would go, you know, I think as long as you have Oregon, Washington, Utah, um, you know, you have three better football brands than anything the Big 12 has is going to have. So, uh, you know, again, I get it. You know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty and and 
and the previous commissioner did not leave the Pac-12 in a good place, but I think there are some legit assets, right? And if you tell me that one of the things they're going to do is they're going to add San Diego State if their numbers are a little depleted, I mean, San Diego State as a, as a brand, and, and you know, they got a new stadium, they have a really good recruiting base. San Diego State could certainly be what the Big 12 has added with these four programs they've added. So, you know, again, I... I get why there's why there's angst, but there's there's also like I don't know a lot of this I look at and I'm like you know the we in the media love the realignment story because it gets people you know listening and it gets people you know reading stories. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that ooh Colorado leaves, and a year ago if anybody said oh Colorado's you know the Big Twelve wants Colorado, you're like yeah they've been awful. Why you know like who cares? <laughs> But Dion's there now. He's made them relevant. It's just like, let's see how long Dion's actually going to be there. Uh, Our late great friend here at the station, John Clayton, used to say, deadlines spur action. I think we put a lot of these false deadlines. Well, you know, they got the league meetings. Well, you got the the portal. Well, you got spring football. Well, even the commissioner has hinted that things were going to get done. They're nearing getting done. Bruce, there actually is a legit deadline, right? I mean, they cannot go and have their national media days in Vegas in late July without a deal constructed and in place, can they? No, I would imagine we'll see something this month um, at some point because, you know, as has been reported, I think John Canzano was the first one to put it out there about, you know, that they've tentatively agreed to a grant of rights, which means they've probably seen some kind of, some kind of setup, at least, you know, is, is it a firm deal? No, but I think there's something for them to at least say, okay, this is kind of what it's going to look like. And at least from that standpoint, I think that gives, I think that gives them some light at the end of the tunnel field at where this thing is actually at. Where do you feel the light at the end of the tunnel of college football is at? Bruce, you and I have known each other a long time, you know, and, and I know years ago there was lots of speculation of these super conferences and, and certainly the deconstruction of all of the rules and, and what has now transpired in the NIL world and the transfer world and everything else. What we just saw with Live Golf and the PGA and the Saudi money and everything, like where do you, do you have a, a grasp, a feel, a thought about where this sport that you and I love is going? It's definitely the change. I mean, the the, tra- the changes of the portal, you know, is huge, right? And the change c- combined with NIL certainly huge. I think what what makes it so unwieldy because all this stuff is happening, you know, kind of at once, right? Even the playoff expansion, you know, uh, USC and UCLA on the move. Um, it's it's a lot, right? But I still think, you know, because you're going to have some issues where, like, TV numbers are good, attendance numbers are a little bit, a little bit leaky in some places, right? You know, maybe that means that the SEC is going to have to, you know, buckle up and go, go do what they don't want to be told to do. That they may need to play nine conference games, and you know, the bottom of that league that'll affect them. But I still think it's football and. You know, I watched you last weekend and, and on TV doing another league, and I just think the appetite for football is still so robust that it's going to be something that, you know, 
I just don't think they can screw it up that much that it's going to turn the game away. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it may be different, right? You know, you see the idea that Charlotte, the Charlotte 49ers are going to be in an NBC national game against Maryland. It was like, what? But again, there, there is just, you know, it's so much bigger than, than college basketball and any of these other, other sports beyond the NFL that, I still think, you know, there'll be some adjustment and there'll be, you know, coaches are going to be having to re, you know, the coaches are venting a lot about how, you know, it's all kind of combustible and who do they turn to? Do they turn to Congress? Is this, you know, the NCA is useless and all this stuff. I think it still will succeed to some degree in spite of itself. Hey, Bruce, before we let you go here, I'll take a shot in the dark. I have no idea where this question is going to go and you may just say no, but did you get to see any of the Seahawks draft picks uh, at any point last year? Devin Witherspoon uh, at Illinois or um, or oh, Jackson Smith know, and Jigba? Oh, he knows Jackson Smith and Jigba like the back of his hands. Bruce, yeah, Bruce is I, so I, I dialed in. Out of Ohio State. Um, in fact, I think our buddy on the other end of this call, we saw them just destroy Maryland and, you know, like on a, I don't know, in Columbus a couple of years ago, right? And, um, I love those picks, right? I think Devin Witherspoon, I did a story for The Athletic where I talked to uh, a lot of coaches who had faced each of the you know top 50 guys or whatever they were. And coaches raved about Devin Witherspoon more than they did Christian Gonzalez, more than they did any of these other bigger corners. And it was funny. One of the guys I talked to, who's a Big Ten assistant, talked about him like he was Patrick Peterson's size. And I was like, you know, and, and this was like probably a week after I had got back from the combine. I was like, you know, he only measured in at like 5'11 and change and like 180-something. And he was like, really, that's it? He goes, that guy is an animal. And just the respect that people had for him, how he plays, as well as, you know, I think it's not a good receiver group at all this year coming out, but I think Jackson Smith and Jigba by far was the guy. Like, I think he is the surest thing in this draft. I mean, you know, Brian Hartline had two guys the previous year, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, a thousand yard rookies. And this guy's better than them. He's more the alpha. He's, you know, better change of direction. He's more physical. You know, I love what the Seahawks did with at the top of that. Top of that. Yeah, I, I think we all do as well. I mean, it's been pretty fun watching these guys as rookies. And we talked to Derek Hall. I don't know if you ever met him when he was at Auburn. Oh my gosh, like the, the most impressive kid we've talked to in forever. So it's a, it's a pretty good time to be in Seattle and love your thoughts on the Huskies as well. Thanks, man. It's good to hear your voice. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Bruce Feldman, uh, who uh, joined us yesterday. And certainly, if you're a Husky, nice to hear that he thinks they could be a playoff contender. I don't know whether I agree with that, but Penick's pretty fun. He's pretty good. So, uh, you know, maybe he'll be right. That would be awesome. Um, he also has some really nice things to say there about your two first-round rookies, which is great. Kind of talked yesterday, and I ended up writing a little bit about it last night with the Seahawks sort of being in the... Goldilocks zone right now, right? Where you've got all this young talent that is all kind of coming up together. They're starting to be mature enough to to actually do some stuff, but they haven't hit that point where they want to get paid, where everybody wants credit, right? They're in the Goldilocks zone. They're not so young 
where they're not able to do anything yet, right? They've got talent. They're not one of those teams out there that's just desperately talent-starved and needing the draft to try to, you know, infuse some excitement into what they're doing. They made the playoffs last year. In theory, they got better than they were. But they're also not in that spot yet where everybody wants to get paid, where they've been around long enough and have a rightful claim. I'm not mad at the players saying, hey, look, I've been on my stupid rookie contract for the last few years, and then I, I want to get paid. I want the credit. I want to get. I want to get rewarded for what I've done. And you see that around the league right now, right? You're seeing it in Buffalo. You're seeing it in Kansas City with Chris Jones. And again, I'm not necessarily mad at the players for using whatever leverage they have, but as a team, it's hard oh, yeah. once you get to that spot. And you know, ultimately, as I thought about this last night. I started thinking about all of the all of the moments we've all the conversations we've had about how do you recreate 2012 to 2014, right? How do you recreate that? And we've talked. Do you bring in the right corners? Was it about the cover three? Was it about this? We've gone through every conceivable part of that team and tried to figure out what it is about them that the Seahawks could recreate and have success with. And as I was thinking about it last night, one of the unique parts of that team is that everybody was on the same page because nobody had hit that point yet where they were squabbling about who got the credit and who ended up getting paid about it or getting paid for it. Again, not mad at anybody for wanting to get paid. They deserved it. But eventually, right, you got Cam Chancellor holding out. You get Russ and his issues with his contract. You got Earl and his contract issues. Right, I mean, that's just a few of them. There were more. Marshawn holds out. Bobby Wagner holds in. Right. All of those guys ended up having some sort of a disagreement. Did those things individually take down the Seahawks? Flat no. Did all of those things together? Maybe. Certainly it's possible, especially when you, you know, factor in what we've heard from KJ and others that the credit game was part of what made them so mad about the end of the Super Bowl where it went awry. They're in a great spot right now. We talked about the Goldilocks zone, right? Not too hot, not too cold, not too big, not too small, not too young, not too ready to get paid. So then what is the most important thing if you're entering win it now, now? You have to win now. Win when you've got the chance to do it because eventually those guys want to get paid. Now, it's not quite as quick as you might think. And usually the second contract is not the problem. The problem's the third contract. The second contract's like, yeah, you did well. We're going to pay you. DK Metcalf's on a second contract. Yeah, they just paid him. Right? You're great. Here, we're going to pay you. The problem is when they want that third contract and they're like, hey, I want to be taken care of until I'm 35 or whatever the number is. And the team's like, yeah, I don't know whether I want to pay it to that point. Right. That's when you end up getting into some of those sticky situations. So mm, understandable. I don't know. This is a good opportunity for them. It doesn't necessarily mean that this year they need to win a championship, but just know that the window's got to start to open sooner rather than later because eventually everybody's going to want to get paid. Yeah, and especially if you did hit on another draft, like if these guys if these guys end up being studs like last year's rookies were, then yeah, you're really going to need That's to right. win here the next year. Now, yeah, if years. you want to take the other side of that, if you want to go negative, not that I would do that. I'm in a good mood today. I'm very happy, so I would not go negative. No. If you want to go negative, you would say, yeah, Mike, they don't have any of those controversies because they don't have any good players from the previous five drafts. 
Yeah, well, all right. Maybe that's part of the problem, too, is they don't have enough guys that want to get paid and deserve it other than, you know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Like, who would even be on that list? So You have been a little bit of a Lana Del Rey song this morning. Me? Yeah. (laughs) Got that, like, morose, angsty, teenage, like, senior, like, school's about to end and you couldn't care less. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Last night got to me. I don't know what to tell you. I just sort of... Just sort of, sort of made me mad. You're this, you're this yeah, mad because you, you, we've made it clear you don't feel sadness, right? That's not, not an emotion, you know. No, nope, but not this, really. It is a little bit of that. You think so? It's, it's. I think you're misdiagnosing your, because you get angry when you get upset, right? Well, but when I get sad, I get mad. I mean, you guys That's saw my saying. texts, my texts yeah, last your texts night. Were a I mean, like, unhinged. Last I was night. unhinged. I was, yeah. I was unhinged. Well, that's just mad because men aren't taught how to handle their emotions. Is right? that what it is? That's, you think so? Also, it's entirely possible. I think you are taught when you're young. You can't be sad, so. Oh, that's interesting. See, we're getting yeah. deep here this morning. So wait, let me let me Rub hold on a second. Let, let's let's, uh, let's kind of run through this. So you think that when I was young, I was socialized in the '80s not to feel sadness, and so that's why my reaction to it is to get mad. I'm told like you can't cry. I don't mind. I don't mind a cry now and but again. Were you told that you were like, eh, there's no reason to cry. I don't know. Maybe I was. Who, who can remember? <laughs> so then you just get mad. I mean, I was I was definitely told at some point. I have a vivid memory of it, of being told, like, hey, it's you're too old to keep crying when you get hurt. <laughs> wow. Suck it up. Right? I remember that. I remember my I remember I was I remember where I was. I remember the exact spot. I remember how I had hurt myself. And I remember my dad. I couldn't have been older than second grade because that's when I moved out of that house. And I remember my dad saying, Hey. He wasn't mad about it. He was just like, hey, that's enough. Hmm. You're too old to keep crying every time you get hurt. When you get hurt and it's not that bad, you got to, like, deal with it. That's how it goes. And I did. Like, after that, I was like, okay, like, I get it. Okay, I'll stop crying when I get hurt. Right? Yeah, like, (laughs) I don't think it was about being sad. But, like, and I've tried that, by the way, with my kids. It doesn't work at all. I had that exact same conversation with my kids. Like, hey kind of getting to be too old to cry every time you stub your toe and like nope hasn't worked even a little bit so it's like kind of thought that would have some some effect it yeah. is not well but the sadness thing more now you might be onto something you know i'm going to talk to heather about this she, she use her therapy skills to would, see if she probably, can figure yeah. that out all right hmm. interesting well i'm pretty sure every woman who's ever dated a man has dealt with some amount of maybe you didn't deal with this correctly when you were younger <laughs> I think that's been a, a pretty common theme. It's like women through. have all these emotions. No, we actually just like no. weren't told not to process just all of them. Just acknowledge that. Right. Interesting. Hmm. We meet them at the door instead of slamming it in the face. Women have been socialized just fine, so we don't have to worry about that. I'm not saying that. any issues there. Everything's just gone swimmingly right, well, for the socialization on that side. Went down some rabbit holes. All right. Uh, time for us to take a break. How's that? Uh, I will cry. I I'm going to have Brock myself a good, good cry night, during the break, and uh, Brock will come in and probably, I don't know, make me. I'm going to guess Brock aggravates me today, just sort of a guess. If I know <laughs> if I know my buddy Brock, he's going to try to get under don't my skin today. You're going to manifest. It now. No, I just, you know what? I know how this goes. <laughs> we'll do it next. Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710.